radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. In uh, crazy times with the coronavirus, we're recording on the 20th of March 2020. And I have a guest today, which uh, people describe as, um, you know, visionary, pragmatist, uh, retrospective goddess. <laughs> and, uh, she wrote books about it. Uh, she wrote books about um, Agile Retrospectives, that's the title of one, and the lift-off, and we want to talk a little bit about the books, the content around that, obviously also the Agile Fluency model, you're probably guessing already who's on the show, we have Diana Loss, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Joe. Okay. It's good to be awesome. here. Good to have you. I must yeah. say, your book uh, has, um, you know, has followed my Agile career. Um, you know, I, I think it was written in 2006, so it was a, one of the early books. And uh, it's very easy to remember. And when I talk to my students, I always say, like, there's a book out there about retrospective. And it's always asked, what's the name of it? And I said, Agile Retrospectives. <laughs> and it's, that was simple, right? But that was, uh, that was the book, right? And um, so you're behind this book. You wrote this book with Esther Derby. And the other book you work with, uh, Ainsley Niels, right? And, he's, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. those, those two books, we want to talk a little about it. Um, Agile retrospectives. Um, there's a lot of people out there. There are, you know, uh, websites and they're creating their own uh, little twists and things on retrospectives. There's websites where people share retrospectives, et cetera. But your book is... Uh, uh, was very trendsetting in the beginning, right? Because it was such a focus on learning at that time, right? So Agile was very new and the retrospectives is often very seen as very soft. There were some uh, references from Ken Schwaber that this is the book you need to read to be successful, et cetera, right? But now with all these retrospective techniques uh, spinning off, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think it's great. I think it's great. I mean, I the the idea of software teams um, having a, ven, a, a a channel for their learning was mm -hmm. was um, and 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 learning in the service of improvement, right? Mm -hmm. Was always always my greatest concern. And so you know, Esther and I started talking about retrospectives at um, at conferences and things even before the book came out. And, and actually, there were a number of other people who were part of that conversation at the time. And um, it wasn't just us, but we were the first ones to publish books. So that was helpful. And I think, you know, all the, uh, I get a little sad when um, I see things being published that say, oh, retrospectives are only three questions or retrospectives are, you know, that, that sort of dumbing down that you mm -hmm. talked about. When in fact, done well, retrospectives are such a rich, helpful um, process for mm -hmm. teams. It's not just another meeting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a part of the work process that helps the team improve. Yeah. And um, and so I love seeing them used for that purpose. And I, I like seeing people jumping on board and adding new activities. Yeah. Um, yeah, we never intended that the Agile Retrospective book would be the only set of retrospective activities that anybody could ever do, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to see well, people, I, things like Retromat with Corinna Baldoff and, mm -hmm. and Patrick Kua wrote a book 
um, called the, I think it was the retrospective handbook that was actually more about taking care of yourself to mm -hmm. become a good facilitator of retrospectives. And then, then there've just been more and more and more. Just the other day, I, I wrote a, a preface for uh, Paolo Caroli's book on fun retrospectives. Mm -hmm. So anytime I can support the efforts of somebody who's contributing right. to that, improving retrospectives, improving people's use of that, so that can boost mm -hmm. their team's learning, I, I'm there. I, yeah. I really like, like helping that effort along. Yeah. So what I like about the, the book in the beginning, the first time I read it was like the, the framework of, you know, setting the stage, mm -hmm. gathering uh, data and gaining insights and uh, building actions. Right. And right. it doesn't give you the, the details on how to do things. You actually still have to right. assemble your own retrospectives, keep them fresh right. and uh, entertaining. Um, right. what, so when we, when I, I don't know what your experience mm -hmm. is on this, but when I walk into team rooms very often, it's just like, so what worked well, what did not work well, you know, like the, the, the questions and there's a 20 minute conversation about, yeah. and, uh, and very often the, the missing thing is the building actions at the, at the end. Yes. Right. So where, was like, what is it we're actually going to do differently? And uh, is there any focus at the end on the next, let's say, iteration to change right. something? Is that something right. you see as well? Uh, that oh, I see that all the time. I see that all the time. And, um, you know, it, some of it is just that people haven't been introduced to doing them well. I mean, it's partly why Esther and I wrote the book, because we knew that the people who would be facilitating these retrospectives in their teams would not be professional facilitators. They wouldn't know that you need to take people on a little journey. Mm -hmm. If you really want, want them to be able to learn together, they need to go on a journey together. And that's where the retrospective framework comes from. I think people often look at that framework, if they know about it, they look at that framework and they say, oh, that should take so much time. Right. When in fact, you can go through, set the stage, gather data, Yep. generate insights, decide what to do in 10 minutes. I mean, you know, if, if you're just asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it is. And, and now I've, I have had the opportunity to sit in a number of teams, um, where whoever is leading the retrospective has a, the team right there with them around the table. They're not even a remote team mm -hmm. and they'll pop open a confluence page and it'll already be populated with two columns <laughs> for answers to those questions, you know, and now, so what do we do well? Yeah. What do we want to do differently? Who do we appreciate? Maybe yeah. that's, that's like extra. Yeah. <laughs> Who do we appreciate? And then, okay, let's move on. And, and when I sit in those meetings, I'm always like, so what are you going to do with those lists? You know, are they just staying there? Is there anything on that first list that you want to make sure you continue to do or, or amplify? Is there something on that second list that you'd like to have happen differently the next time? I think a lot of it also is um, one of the things we talked about in the retrospective book was that every retrospective should have a goal. We've really changed that language. We, now we talk about it should have a focus. Mm -hmm. But that also really helps. If it's always, oh, just continuous improvement, that gets boring. Yeah. But if this time we're looking at our relationship with the product, with our product people and the customers, if next time we're looking at what kind of feedback quality are we getting, 
another time we're talking about our team dynamics. That helps to keep the retrospectives engaging mm -hmm. and it also leads to better actions because the you help the team focus right. in on one thing to look at. That's an interesting so, point. Yeah. So it's, it's so you yeah. have to focus you're already going into the retrospective like yeah. You know, with this like well, let's let's only set the stage for a specific topic, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, you know, we we said we'd like to do more pairing. Let's continue to look at our engineering practices. How would we how do we how, how did we do it at uh, doing more pairing and what other engineering practices do we want to look at? Mm -hmm. You know. So, I mean, there's just so many ways to spin that focus. Right. That you know, uh, and it helps the team. And then it, it also keeps the team from falling into the trap of, oh, well, we're as good as we need to be. We don't need yeah. to improve anymore. <laughs> <laughs> if you good. shine a little spotlight on, well, what about this area? You yeah. know, <laughs> of improvement, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right. All right, cool. Um, you just mentioned um, a word pairing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Recording on the 20th of March, 2020, we don't know where the journey is going to go with the coronavirus. No. Um, pairing might not be possible uh, or through distance right now, like actually shoulder to shoulder, not a good idea, first of all, right? And be yeah. uh, probably not something that to be considered right now. But I think you're bringing up an interesting point. There is a lot of retrospectives we'll be taking online. in, in the Absolutely. Coming, right? Yeah. Um, so. Well, and. Yeah, there are even tools for pairing online and mobbing online, and more people are using those tools. Yeah. Um, you know, a long time ago, it was Alistair Coburn that I first heard it from, but I think other people, I'm sure other people have said it too, that um, he had seen research that said the richest form of transferring information, the richest form of communication was two people with a problem standing in front of a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. being, being able to do that. And so, um, and of course, when we're working only remote, we can't have that. But I think our challenge is how do we get as close to that as possible? Mm -hmm. How, what, what kind of tools, techniques, electronic mediation, and so on, do we need to make that happen? And I've been you know, through this crisis, I have been uh, pleased to see all of the, on, on Twitter and on LinkedIn and all the other mm -hmm. kind of community places, Slack channels, people sharing what they do to be more effective, yeah. um, how to facilitate virtually more effectively, how to, how to, how to um, design your meeting, your, your get-together to make sure you're more effective, what tools to use, mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. And it, it's, it's wonderful to see all those contributions just bubbling up from so many different places in the community. If you, if you want help with that, mm -hmm. you, you know, a quick Google search is going to find you uh, all kinds of help, right? And I'm, I'm really pleased to see that. Yeah, also, like, there's a lot of sharing going on in the community right now. Right. It's also very right. positive. But what kind of things, I mean, obviously, every team needs to go through their own learning experience through their retrospectives, but yeah. what kind of um, working agreements um, do you see impacted right, right now by working remotely, right? So, obviously, there's 
so mine, for example, right, being on time is, is one for me right now. Like, like I, I remind everybody, it's like yeah. losing so much time online because um, until everybody's dialing in or having delays, et cetera, et cetera. So, right. so the booking agreements probably from these teams around the world are being impacted significantly right now because they yeah. need to figure out how to work. What kind of ideas or advice could you, uh, could you share with the teams yeah. right now? Well, um, I think there are a number of things. Mm -hmm. One is if anybody is remote, everybody needs to be remote. So even if there are some folks who are still going to their offices, if part of their team is not there, then they all need to sit separately with their computers. Because you wanna, if you want really good engagement, it needs to be a level playing field. And so everybody needs to be on the tool. Um, so that's one thing, and, and that a lot of folks have been iterating on that. Um, another one is when you're when it's not your turn to talk, put on the mute button. You know, <laughs> that just Simple. it just yeah. kind of helps things, right? Um, and so, in a, in addition to that, then you need some way of indicating, hey, I have something to say. I'd like to be able to speak up next. Um, and I've seen a whole bunch of different ways of doing that. Um, one is people holding up fingers like this, which is the uh, American Sign Language for R, yeah. and it means I'm ready to speak. Okay. Um, I've also seen um, Lizette Sutherland's collaboration cards, you know, people being able to hold that, which, I mean, or just index cards that, yeah. you know, maybe have an R on it or yeah. I'm ready, mm -hmm. or using the chat or... Um, but then people have to also be Online. looking at the chat while they're looking, you know, mm -hmm. so you have to just figure out what works for your team. But there are a lot of ways of doing that. And uh, some of the tools, um, what was I on the other day? I was on a go to meeting call and they had a little a little button you could do that looked like a little hand raising. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the tools have things built into them like that. So that's worth exploring. And mm -hmm. then, um, but along, so along with muting, you also have to have a way to get in, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that those two things have to work together. You need, you need both of those. Yeah. Um, and then, and you know, other ways, I mean, I mentioned Lizette Sutherland's collaboration superpowers cards, collaboration cards. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of, there's a lot of little, little quick messages on those. They're where you can be alert. They're very colorful and it can, you can be alert to the nonverbal cue of, mm -hmm. of somebody holding up a car that says Elmo, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which stands for enough, let's move on, right? Mm -hmm. So that if somebody feels like the team is going on a tangent or not really staying focused in the meeting, you can just sort of say, Hey, you know, I, I don't have to break in. I don't have to interrupt anybody, but I just like to say, is this really the direction we want to go in? Mm -hmm. So those kind of tools, which, you know, you can get those cards from Lisette or you can make your own on index mm -hmm. cards or, you know, big, <coughs> uh, I like, um, yeah, I also like, you know, big, colorful, sticky notes, right? Yeah, perfect, yeah. Um, another important thing is to use video if you have it. Um, I mean, sometimes the bandwidth or whatever requires that you're only on audio. But if you, if you can use video so that you can get some of those facial expressions and, right. um, you know, those kinds of things, uh, that that helps that helps people kind of communicate 
you know, we're still not at the place where we have, you know, smell a vision or, yeah. or the, the yeah. idea that um, I was reading about a few years ago and, and people have looked this up and if they don't believe me, then they look it up and it's true where people have done research that because as humans, we're always walking around sort of shedding skin cells and things mm -hmm. that actually there is some kind of communication that happens when my skin cells meet your skin cells, you know, which is why we're talking about six feet of distance now, right? Because uh, we don't want that to happen right now. But in the normal course of things, that is another channel that humans communicate with each other. Well, of course, we can't do that online. So we have to amplify the the channels that we do have. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, being if it's possible for a person to be even more expressive than they would otherwise be to make sure that they're speaking up so that, so that we can use this, this, um, the, the video, the virtual world that we have in the most effective possible ways, yeah. whatever that might be. And also, Oh, the other one that I wanted to mention is starting a meeting with some kind of check-in just to sort of say, you know, who are the humans here? I mean, we say set the, set the stage in the agile retrospectives. I love to see people coming back around to that. But, but part of that is doing a, like one of the a core protocols check-in or, uh, you know, or some other, um, I was reading the other day that the folks at Hunter Industries, when they start their mobs, they're they're asking kind of silly questions and intentionally, or I've seen times where people are wearing different hats and <laughs> they start the meeting by saying, telling the story of their hat, oh, you know, right. just anything to make that human connection before you jump into the, the business connection of the meeting of the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a very good idea. Um, one, one thing is um, I'm a, I'm a big in person uh, kind of, instructor yeah. etc right and i work with teams uh online we do a little bit obviously now this is our key focus one thing i always uh also remind everybody and this is a little tricky in the online world is yeah. if you were in an office environment you would just hang out at the coffee area you would have a conversation yes. about something and you wouldn't really think that this is a meeting right so yeah. it's uh, it's just a gathering it's like two or three minutes five minutes of coffee and especially like times like this, you need to check in with people. You need to say like, how are you? How's your family? How are you holding up at home, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, but we don't have that online. So I remind, why don't you schedule, schedule a coffee meeting, you know? Mm -hmm. But on the other side, it does come across as a meeting because it's scheduled. It's, it's not yeah. spontaneous, right? So, but I, I think it is important to go into a, into a breakout where there is no agenda, let's say, where it's just right. like, come on, let's just talk. Right. We would be doing right. this anyway. People need to be courageous enough to do that in a corporate world because it looks like we're not working, right? We're having, but on the other side, it's very important to keep those relationships going. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and and it's another reason why some of the uh, more spontaneous um, mm -hmm. tools are important, yes. like Slack or yeah. you know, I, there's just so many of them out there. I can't even talk about all of them but 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 the ones that say hey you know um i need a break let's let's go to zoom and and have coffee together mm -hmm. or you know i mean you can be more spontaneous like that if again because 
people as individuals, if we're co-located, we have that kind of agency that you're talking about, about just being able to get up and go to the coffee room or whatever. And if you're using tools, everybody on the team needs to be able to use those tools. It can't be only the scrum master who can create a Zoom meeting or, you know, everybody has to be able to do that so that they can meet in in smaller groups and twos and threes for the kinds Mm -hmm. of things that you're talking about. I think that's incredibly important. And, you know, so a way of triggering that uh, that is quicker, so like, some kind of IRC old Mm -hmm. that's old school talk I know but there are a lot of those things out there I've been um someone just introduced me to Marco Polo which is a way of leaving each other little video messages they're like texts only it's video okay and um and so we've been experimenting with that a little bit to leave each other video messages and just introduce how it's going for me (laughs) yeah and um yeah so cool. I think, you know, anything like that, that people can find mm-hmm. um, that helps it be a more human space. Right. Um, that's, you know, the book that I wrote with my son, Willem, uh, Five Rules for Accelerated Learning. The primary and first rule is keep it alive, which means make it feel human. Right. right? And um, so, so the more we can connect with that, the better. Mm-hmm. And and technology has some great ways to help us do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Should we should we touch a little bit on the fluency model? I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. All right. Um, well, the the fluency model. Um, we have all the links on the on the show page on Agile. Oh, so we, we're going to provide all these uh, to the listeners so they can click on it. So we don't have to spell out the links here. But mm-hmm. uh, the fluency model is something um, you co-produced, right? Um, mm-hmm. Was it a group or was uh, Jim Shore, right? Uh, well, it was, it was, yeah, it was primarily Jim Shore and James Shore and myself wrote the article, the original mm-hmm. article and, and did a lot of the uh, research to, um, to come up with the model. But I have to say we connected with a lot of people over the course of doing that. We were constant over about two or three years. We were constantly, seeking feedback, showing people the model, asking for review. Uh, We have a very active, we're fortunate to have a very active open space conference, Agile Open Northwest that happens every year. All the the two or three years that we were working on the model, we always had a session and had so people from the community could look at it and give give us feedback. So, and, and then we sent away, um, drafts of the article to get feedback and mm-hmm. and so we there were a lot of people who supported us as we were as we were creating this model so it wasn't just jim and i in a dark room right. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> we had we had a lot of help from the agile community and and everything from you know prep agile pra- really good agile practitioners kind of on the ground that you know you've probably never heard their names to people whose names are very familiar to mm-hmm. folks in the Agile community. All of those folks different, at different times were involved mm-hmm. in, in helping us make the model as good as it could be. Well, and our goal was to get to the place where everybody who encountered it went, yeah, that makes sense. And it looks like what I've encountered in my mm-hmm. work as well. Yeah. And that's, that was where we wanted to get. And that's, 
that's where we ended up before we published. Yeah, what's yeah. interesting about the model is right. So everybody could argue about the labeling of the yeah right the, right, but on you know at, at the end of the day, there's these these four things going on in the fluency right. model, right? Um, mm -hmm. I want to touch on these on the two and the first and the fourth, right? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit, right? Um, the first yeah. one is the focusing um, yes aspect of it, right? And maybe that relates to the liftoff. Mm -hmm. yeah, it does relate to liftoff. Yeah, yeah it does relate to liftoff. Actually, any it. of them have some relationship to liftoff, but probably focusing more than the others. Because focusing is where we do get good at being a team together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the way the model works, all of the, all of the zones rely on the previous zones. Mm -hmm. You need all of those skills as you move through. It's just that not everybody needs all of it right, right. so you pick pick where you where you want to stop but the, so those focusing uh, the proficiencies the fluent proficiencies that we describe in focusing for a team are those fundamental skills of uh, learning how to work together as a collaborative team and learning how to shift from thinking in terms of building what's technically cool mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or needed in components to what is creating whole value for the customer and the business. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a mindset shift around what are we working on? And then there's a mindset shift around how are we working? We're working more as a collaborative team because we need all of our skills. So, um, and then, and then the third thing about the focusing zone is this idea that uh, we're not just here producing kind of widgets. We understand um, that we're working together with the business. Mm -hmm. And so we do our work in such a way that the business can see what mm -hmm. kind of progress we're making. So okay. those are the three big things that are going on in the focusing zone. Right. Why, do you, why do you think people like teams, not people necessarily, but teams, like, I, that's my experience, struggle already yeah. with this one, right? So, right. You know. well, very often um, it's, it, it's happening a little less these days, but it still happens that even the junior folks come in straight from a program or a university course or uh, where they were expected to produce by themselves. Mm -hmm. and they were they were judged on how they produced by themselves um and so moving from either coming out of university or coming out of a, a code school kind of program or you know having worked before in a non-agile kind of environment where it was just a group of individual contributors right. that you know managers were handing out the tasks and they may have called their department a team, but there really is no teamwork going on there. It's all, it's all just individual contributors and then trying to integrate things together at the end, which is kind of why we have Agile in the first place, because that's, that's such a difficult challenge. So, um, so in order to move to thinking in terms of whole products that, bring whole value to customers and in return that brings whole value to the business we need to shift from that that way of working to a more team-based collaborative way of working and mm -hmm. it seems to do 
it seems to be the best thing we've found so far, mm -hmm. right? To make that shift. Yeah. And, um, and maybe there'll be some other way someday. I don't know, but for now, and in some ways it's kind of going back right to the old technologies of, um, Norm Kurth, who was my mentor around retrospectives used to talk about, you know, after the Buffalo hunt, uh, people sitting or, or whatever the Mastodon hunt, people sitting around a fire and talking about how did the hunt go and how well did they coordinate with each other? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's how humans have gotten things done for a very long time. And so move as opposed to trying to do everything individually by themselves. And so yeah. it's really kind of going back to that thing that we know about how we work best. Yeah. Um, and that's what the focusing zone is really about. It's like in the context of software development, what are the things that we need to do to kind of get back to that kind of working well together? Right. And this not necessarily related to the current Corona situation online in general or Slack you mentioned earlier, right? So there's a lot of communication, you know, yes. word, um, you know, mis misalignments between, between yeah. folks, you know, when somebody says, I, just check the Slack channel. It's like, well, you know, like it's, you know, they yeah. could to a conversation, right? So there is right. something about it and the follow-up question and the ambiguity, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, but I do notice that there is still surprisingly, right? 20 years, you know, this agile journey has been going actually uh, 20 years uh, since we have the word agile in front of it, right? Since 2001. Yeah. So we are, um, we are maturing as an, uh, as an, Community and industry, but yeah. there's still issues on on what you describe on the on the basis. Yeah. So how fluent and that's you know yeah well and that's the that's the time when um, it may not be the time when it's most interesting, but it is the time when I think um, the role of agile coaches and um, those folks and or agile consultants mm. that's when that really comes in. Um, just just the human the, the folks who are really grounded in human technology mm -hmm. right being able to um being able to to help make a group of folks make a shift i mean it's really going from and back to the theme of learning it's going from how learning happens in our own heads mm -hmm. to how learning happens in a group of people yes it's a very, it's a similar thing, but a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, keeping that in mind, that now we're not learning alone. We are learning together. Mm -hmm. And how is that different? And what do we need to do to support that? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. skip, skipping these two levels here, going to, yeah. strength, going to strengthening for a little bit, maybe yeah. at the end of our uh, podcast yeah. here, Diana, is... Um, strengthening uh, right. that's the level where first of all you, you mentioned that earlier I just want to make sure that comes across the right way uh, that is not necessarily uh, something every team has to achieve right so oh gosh no some companies it, right yeah yeah well and it is the level that particularly coaches and consultants are always most interested in <laughs> <laughs> anybody who's kind of future focused or whatever because that's the that's as far as we know we're beginning to see like weak signals that there may be another zone beyond that mm -hmm. 
but we don't know enough about it yet. So we haven't actually described that one. But um, the strengthening zone is the things like, um, are you familiar with like corporate rebels? The, their, their, their blogs and their podcasts and things that, you know, that's the sort of things they're looking at. What are the, you know, what are the, what are the new governance technologies? What are the new ways of coming together? How can we create new kinds of cultures and business? Um, That sort of thing. And of course, that's by far uh, the easiest place for that to happen is when companies are quite small. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, three people in a garage are kind of automatically strengthening zone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's but as a company grows, that's really hard to sustain. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to see it more often in smaller organizations where all the team members and and all the all the products are kind of all working together in a way to move the business forward and uh, and everything that everybody does is focused on moving the whole business forward, not just their piece mm-hmm. of it, not just their work. Um, so really uh, um, uh, optimizing for the global, not the local, right? Mm-hmm. As some people say. So, um, so that's the difference in, in strengthening, but, to be able to function there, you need those foundational teamwork skills, right. and which, is, which are a lot easier when you're three people in a garage than when you're 500 people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you need the, the engineering skills that come from the delivering zone. You need to be able to, to look uh, further along the value stream in the delivering zone we talk about including DevOps and UX, and so we have to we have a, a bigger uh, awareness of the whole value stream, and then in optimizing where the team has more to do with the whole product and mm-hmm. and in guiding the direction of the whole product. By the time you get to strengthening, you you've incorporated all of those fluent proficiencies, and and now you're able to. Um, do that on behalf of the whole business. Right. And when, when you're doing three people in a garage, you're doing that in a small way. And it's, you know, you figure out what engineering practices you need and you figure out you're already all focused on the same product and, and so on. Um, but then, you know, when organizations grow, the ability to stick with that mm-hmm. <laughs> starts, it just, it's just communication overhead. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, just natural. Yeah. So, so but it is the, and, and maybe that's to, to the end of our podcast here um, yeah. is the more companies, the more coaches reach that step. I think we're going to have a brighter 20 years ahead of us in, in form of agile. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. The more we can do that. But I also think that means the disassembly of some very large organizations into smaller right. <laughs> smaller groups so but i'm not advocating for that i'm, right. not, uh, I'm not going on record as advocating no. for breaking up big companies <laughs> <laughs> we're not saying we need garages on parking lots no and, yeah uh, <laughs> right no for every company to decide on their own way which part they path they want to take but i think there right. is something to it and um Right. So that brighter future of, of, of Agile is we need to explore. Right. Right. And see 
I think a lot of the work that uh, Heidi Hellfund is doing uh, in her company Procore around dynamic reteaming is moving in that direction. Um, team self-selection to me feels more like it's in the optimizing zone. And so mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a thing for people to really be looking for. Um, but a lot, of the, a lot of the, when we think about the new ideas that are coming into Agile, very many of them are pointing in that direction for sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diana. That's an uh, awesome conversation and, uh, you know, stay safe and uh, maybe we have a time to connect after these, uh, yes. turmoil times and, uh, we'll talk about some other topics again. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I, I would love to do that. Get back together in a few months, see what's happened. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.